0: are listening
1: to the cxmh podcast cxmh is a podcast at the intersection of faith and mental health
0: hey welcome back to the show my name is robert bohr and i'm joined as always by my co-host dr holly oxandler hey holly
1: hey robert
0: just adjusting your mic there. I, like I am. <laughs> uh, on this week's episode, I talk with therapist Nia Baker about trauma, our nervous systems, and what we can learn about resilience from each other. But first, Holly, how are you today?
1: I'm doing pretty good. How are you doing?
0: I'm good. I'm good. Yeah.
1: It's Friday afternoon when we're it recording is. this. Yeah,
0: it is. Yes. Uh, well, I don't know if anything super exciting happened for you this week that you want to talk about. Otherwise, I can launch into kind of just a curiosity question. Oh, boy.
1: Um, like, how do I avoid that? No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, I I honestly, I was just, you know, I know right before we hit record, I was like trying to go back through my calendar and be like, what happened this week? It was, yeah. I feel like we're still Texas in some ways are still catching up um from the storm I know that we had a recent mask mandate lift that is uh, going to be unfolding in Texas and so there's been some of that navigating this week um and yeah, yeah, yeah it's been it's been interesting I will say me and my family we will continue wearing masks even if That is a removed mandate. And I've been very encouraged by the number of businesses um, who have my email, who've been emailing me to say, we will continue to require masks. So that's been, that's been encouraging. Yeah. So what about you? What have you been up to this
0: week? Yeah, nothing, uh, nothing exciting. I think, again, I feel like I've been saying that a lot recently, but, you know, it really is just kind of this weird, uh, we're in this Groundhog Day type, you know, just, feels like we're just kind of chugging along so i actually couldn't if i would go back through my calendar similar to what you were doing and try and think because i don't think i have any like landmarks of the last week to be like when did this week begin um so Mm -hmm. you know yeah we're just kind of in this this blurry time here but Mm -hmm. yeah
1: (laughs) yep well, speaking of, I guess one thing quickly to note, um, speaking of it reaching to the one year, we're just about at the one year anniversary of uh, when the World Health Organization announced COVID um, being a pandemic, um, we are super honored to be able to um, support and help sponsor an upcoming event that the Humanitarian uh, and Disaster Institute is launching. Um, It is their second annual Spiritual First Aid Summit that is going to be happening on March 11th. It is free. um, And folks can register online at um, sfasummit.com. We'll include the link in the show notes, but basically what this event is, is it's a free online summit for one day. Their speakers include uh, John Maxwell and our own Sandra Dalton-Smith, who we've had on the show before, and a number of other folks. But basically these speakers are gonna be covering how to assess and address five core needs uh, that the Humanitarian Disaster Institute has identified as being critical in the wake of a disaster. And these five needs include belonging needs like relationships, um, livelihood needs like health and finances and resources and employment, um, emotional needs like mental health, uh, safety needs, um, spiritual needs as well. Um, and basically they're going to have this on-demand video content that is going to be available following, um, the event in addition to it being live on March 11th. So we'll include, again, I mentioned, you know, the website is sfasummit.com. We'll include that link in our show notes, but we really want to encourage our listeners, um, to go ahead and check that out and to sign up, uh, for that event. So just piggybacking on, you know, it being yeah. one year. Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah, I like it. You did a, you did a great job reading that info and and describing it. And I like you do the same thing I do. I just noticed. So we've only recently started re- like doing this where we can see each other for okay. our listeners to to understand. But you do the same thing that I do where when you said we'll include that in the show notes, you kind of pointed downwards as if the oh, show did notes I? were below us. <laughs> Which I definitely do as well because in my That's brain. so funny. Like, yeah, like we'll include them down in the show notes. Mm-hmm. So uh, I appreciate that that you do that as well. That's very funny.
1: That's amazing. Well, thank um, you, friend. Let me,
0: uh, <laughs> let me ask you a question out of curiosity because I, I want to know sure. if this happens to you too. Uh, okay. I posted something about it online the other day and it, it seemed like it resonated with some folks. But when you watch movies or TV shows now, right, like in the last week or whatever, if there is a scene <laughs> where – there's like a crowd of people, or oh. people are like really closing. Can you? Because I, I've, I've become kind of more aware that like my, and this is like the nerdiest way to say it, but like my nervous system shifts, right? Like I can feel yes. a sense of like, yes. oof. like yes, yes, I feel, I feel yes. unsafe now. That happens yes. to you too?
1: Oh my gosh, yes, yes, I, yeah, yes, yes. What were we? Uh, gosh, what was it that we were watching? Oh, we were watching Freaky Friday with the kids uh, last week, hmm. and I will remember the original or
0: the Lindsay Lohan,
1: the Lindsay Lohan one.
0: Gotcha. Okay. Yeah.
1: Um. But we were watching that, and um, and I could feel myself like just looking at all the kids in the high school, and yeah, oh yeah, yeah. Oof, it's it's hard, but you have to like kind of jump through some hoops in your brain to be like, wait a minute. This was recorded like long before, and you know, and it's
0: fictional. It's not, and it's yeah, fictional. Yeah, yeah. So it's so that's right. How that happens? Yeah. <laughs> yes.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You do the same thing.
0: Definitely. Yeah. Which is interesting because I think I think if we think back, even if you're like, okay, I, I don't, I don't like keep track of my nervous system, so to speak, right? When you think back to like watching horror movies or whatever, right, where like you kind of feel this this discomfort. That's essentially the same type of thing that I feel now when I'm like. Oh, all these people are at a party and no one's wearing masks. I know everyone's going to get there, sick, right? and Yeah. It's like, okay. Well, this is just a move, you know. They're all but um, that kind of sensation. So it's it's interesting once you're kind of aware of it. Of like, what I, I feel this almost constantly now, like watching yes. fictional things.
1: Yes. Yeah. yeah, I know. I realized too. I felt it last week in with last week's episode of *WandaVision* with all of the people mm. and going trick or treating and. You know, yeah, yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yep. Because yeah. I actually That's am starting to watch shows or at least this one show.
0: <laughs> this one show. This yes.
1: one show. Yes. That's right. So I know um, I was not able to join your conversation with our guest this week. Um, do you want to tell our listeners about it?
0: Yeah. The uh, nervous system was going to be my, my your segue. segue. Look at that. Yes. Um yeah, so I talk with uh, my friend, Nia Baker, who is a therapist here in Atlanta and who has, you'll hear when I read her bio, but kind of uh, this entire background of working with uh, what we might say are like people who've experienced a lot of trauma, right? So like sexual abuse, homelessness, all sorts of stuff like that. And so we talk about some of why that's so important to her, just the idea of, of, of trauma and what we learn from, from people when we Kind of view them as like okay, you have survived this thing, as opposed to like okay, this thing has been broken, you know, stuff mm-hmm. like that. But we also get into a lot of kind of nervous system stuff, right? Of like, how do we uh, make each other feel safe, be connected, right? All that type of thing. Um, and she does a great job of explaining it in a way that's not, you know, if you're listening and you're like, what, uh, what is this? I don't, I don't study biology mm-hmm. or physiology, right? Like, hey, me neither. But like, she does a great job of of, of explaining it and unpacking it in an understandable way, and then saying like, okay as as faith leaders how do we how is this useful in terms of like our community right things like mm-hmm. that and it was just a lot of fun because i love nia and she's great and yeah it's always fun to to have friends on so we will get out of the way especially because i hear a guy doing yard work outside my house here uh, we'll get out of the way and <laughs> let y'all listen to uh, uh my interview with nia baker
1: all right enjoy y'all
0: All right, today we are so excited to be joined by Nia Baker. Nia is a therapist and the executive director of Active Resilience Counseling and Coaching in Atlanta, as well as working with Beloved Atlanta, a nonprofit organization that works with women who have lived through trafficking, prostitution, and addiction. She has specializations and training in areas like DBT, trauma, working with populations like the homeless, those who have experienced sex trafficking, and more. Uh, This is also one of the cool times that I always love, which is where our guest is extremely qualified, but uh, also I have the honor of counting her as a friend. So Nia, welcome to the show. How are you doing today?
2: Thank you. I'm happy to be here. I'm doing pretty well, sitting in a warm room with my pup and drinking some coffee and getting to talk to a friend. So it's it's a pretty good day.
0: I love that. Is there anything else that our audience should know about you that wasn't in your your bio there?
2: Um wow. Um one of the things that I have started becoming more increasingly interested in um and cannot say that I've gone through the training although I've done some experiential work um and it's something that I think just makes sense based on some of my areas of like hobbies and and things that I do that are more for fun than for some sort of professional career. And Mm -hmm. um, I think I'm starting to include now in some of the ways that I think about therapy and the ways that I think about healing are uh, some things close to my heart, like gardening and painting. And um, the reason I bring those up is I've been considering and working towards going through the somatic experiencing training yeah which is a lot more around like how your body experiences space um and uses that as a way to actually promote healing in the brain which is pretty cool Um, yeah yeah
0: that's awesome so uh, i noticed you know one thing that kind of goes like there's a a through line through your bio Mm -hmm. there and even what you were just talking about which uh happens to be working with individuals who've experienced a lot of trauma right Mm -hmm. and I know we've we've talked about trauma before in the show, but I always think it's helpful right up front to get kind of like a, a working definition for the conversation, right? So, how do you define trauma, so to speak, and why is it mm-hmm. something that that you're so passionate about working with?
2: I define trauma as any any type of um, experience where whatever the stimulus is, um, and that could be I've been thinking about this a lot more recently. Um, related to just our bodies, it could be a stimulus that you know actually impacts a part of our body, um, bruises mm. it. But also, if we think about that from um, the way we receive information, it could be something that we hear or see or touch, and like temperature. Um, but any any time that we experience a stimulus, and our nervous system gets so heightened that it moves into a shutdown response. Hmm. Where now when we experience a stimulus that reminds us of that past stimulus, the nervous system is threatened by it. And so for some people, that is um, actual like physical assault or sexual assault. For some people, it is a way that someone has um, responded to them over and over again, or maybe multiple people. Um, We talk about that a lot when we're thinking about someone who is experiencing homelessness and the... The ways that oftentimes people will, without knowing it, just something that we, you know, our bodies, how they respond to each other. Um, we might look away from them. We might not mm. maintain eye contact, which the nervous system reads as, "Oh, I'm not seen. I'm not understood." Anything from from that level to, you know, I I am someone who I try not to do, it, but I will burn my tongue on a <laughs> cup of coffee or hot chocolate pretty regularly and every single time i'm so terrified it's going to happen and i consistently <laughs> experience that but if anybody who's burned their tongue this is like a tiny little trauma right but there's a way that mm. you feel it afterwards it's not just oh wow that was hot and it's over it's oh wow that was hot and now like i might it feels raw and so yeah. um when we're thinking about physical trauma or emotional trauma And emotional trauma is just, I mean, it's how the nervous system is impacted through um, words and responses related to feeling safe in an environment.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I love that kind of broader definition because I know, uh, you know, sometimes we think about trauma. In is like kind of this elite level of, you know, it has to reach a certain point. And, mm-hmm. and I know, I think it was uh, Andy Kolber a long time ago mm-hmm. on the show talked about kind of this idea of, of capital T trauma and lowercase mm-hmm. t trauma where like there are this whole range of experiences that we can describe as traumatic and that's mm-hmm. not taking away from, you know, like oh, well, if I just call, oh, I had a bad day, that was traumatic, yeah. that I'm not like downplaying uh, the things that we would say are like, you know, some people might phrase as actual trauma, quote unquote. you can see my air mm-hmm. quotes. Um, but, uh-huh. but there's, there's also lower T trauma in terms of like, there is kind of a lasting impact and mm-hmm. in your nervous system and like that type of thing. So um, I love that. So why, why is that, you know, kind of these various types of traumas that, that are listed in your bio and things? Why is that something that you're so passionate about working mm. with as, as a therapist?
2: I get really excited about it because I think, well, I, I've joked with people and I think there are many therapists who might agree with me, <laughs> um, <laughs> where we, well, it's the, it's the wounded healer principle, right? We hmm. I, I went to therapy school and was really interested in it and excited about it and then looked back a few years later and I was like, I think I went to therapy school because I need therapy. Uh, <laughs> <so> that, was, <laughs> that was actually what was going on yeah. then. Um, and, um, I had never been to therapy before I, I went to, um, my clinical program. And while I was there, mm-hmm. was like, you know, I don't even think that there are these, I, I, I think I was one of those people who i had grown up, uh, military family, strong, um, faith, a lot of, and a lot of really good things that were a part of my life every day, but there were also a lot of hard things Yeah. and there wasn't space to process those. Um, experiences. And And so I don't think I really realized how much those things affected me or impacted me until I started becoming interested in in working with people. Um, and I think I was so drawn to it because it was something where I was I realized like that's where connection is. That's where hmm. real authenticity is. And I think I really craved that. I craved a place where people could feel safe enough to name what their experiences were and we didn't have to hide from them um, or ignore them. So I I actually heard about, became more aware of the sexual exploitation that was occurring in Atlanta and, I mean, all over the world, but um, Atlanta is the number one city in the United States. And I learned about this in college. One of the corners that they said kind of a lot of this was occurring on was right around the corner from where I went to school and there was something about understanding that there were people who didn't have the ability to um, create their own safety. That daily, that was something mm. that they just lived, not knowing where they would go next, who would touch them, what words would be said to them, what pain could happen. There was something about that that really gripped me, and uh, I, I, I just felt kind of a response, I guess, in my own nervous system that that really fit with finding ways to support people believing in their own capacity to build safety for themselves felt really important to me. So I kind of went on this long journey of just, you know, (laughs) being like, what does it look like to do that? Counseling school, um, working with different populations here in Atlanta, um, working with different nonprofit organizations. um, And then I, yeah, I I do. I now work for uh, Beloved Atlanta. And we're a residential program that works with women who have survived addiction, exploitation, trafficking, and prostitution. And there is something about the the women that we work with are amazing. They're both incredibly strong and incredibly vulnerable. And some of the things I'm actually really interested in understanding is when someone survives that amount of trauma, and I think this is true not just with this population, but if we look at other populations, marginalized groups of people, there is a re- resilience that they that they learn. Um, and I think sometimes when they're, or I would say more than sometimes, often when they're in communities post that trauma, there can be a way that we're starting to unpack all of the different ways they've learned to cope. And some mm-hmm. sometimes those ways of coping, Um, and I think this happens again, like I said, in all populations, we can see or look at it and maybe have some judgments around or maybe are some fear around that um, or just we don't understand it. And there might be something really wonderful to learn from from those communities. So that's Mm -hmm. something that I think I'm really passionate about, not going into a place like working with the women that I work with from... A perspective that, oh my gosh, these are such broken people and we have to help them heal. but yes, they've been incredibly wounded, and they're they've built this amazing system systematic way of staying alive amidst all of that. How do we learn about that and also understand that possibly what they could tell us could teach us how to have a better community, a better society? Mm-hmm. So I'm, re- that I'm that's what I'm really excited and passionate about. So I think, uh, I don't know if you mentioned the last time, but I am in school again now, which I also really love. And yeah. I love being in school. Uh, so I'm at, I'm at Emory, currently getting a master's of theological studies at Candler. But I'm taking some classes in a few different places there, because what I'm really interested in is building a thesis that particularly talks about this, that actually observes and looks at stories in ways that people are surviving daily and saying, how can not not looking at them as something to be fixed, but how can we learn what we need to work on as a society from them? (laughs) Yeah. So I've gotten to take some like a neuroscience class. And um, I'm currently working with a professor in the history department for with around a human research, uh, or sorry, a human trafficking class, I'm doing research with her Specifically on human trafficking, um, a history of that dates back to like when slavery first started. Because um, human mm-hmm. trafficking, it's more than just. I mean, we talk a lot about sex trafficking, but there's also labor trafficking and other forms of tra- trafficking. that are happening all over the world, and I'm I'm really excited to see where where faith, like rituals of understanding God, neuroscience and working with marginalized groups of people all interact which oftentimes are are segregated sometimes you know the neuroscience community and the faith community are in these different spots and I think the future is understanding each other so yeah I'm really excited about that
0: yeah I love that I know last time you talked some about kind of this uh the social justice kind of aspect of mm-hmm. of some of this right in terms of how we do therapy or how we uh, respond even if if you're a faith leader right like how you mm-hmm. uh, respond and I know this kind of the buzzword these, these days of like being trauma informed right but like all mm-hmm. of that being a like a, a social justice issue in terms of like, Treating people as people who have overcome things and who are resilient and things like that, as opposed to uh, you know broken or, or things like mm-hmm. that. Um, and I, I should mention this is our second attempt at, at recording this, which is yeah. why we're referencing something before, um, just for the <laughs> listeners. But so uh, let me ask you because you've talked some about, like you mentioned a couple times, uh, our nervous systems and this idea of, mm-hmm. of creating safety for ourselves or for each other, right? for someone that's listening that says, okay, I have no, uh, you know, I'm just a, not just a, but I'm, I'm someone who leads a a faith community or, you know, I just, I have no kind of background of like, what are you talking about? Nervous system, right? Like, can you, uh, and I know it's a kind of a huge topic, but when you talk about this idea of safety and our nervous Mm -hmm. systems and things like that, can you uh, explain a little bit about that? Just kind of like a brief overview for folks.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, I will definitely say I spent a lot of my time thinking about this, so um, <laughs> I can go down like a nerdy, a nerdy rabbit trail um, and then people are talking about other things that are happening. I'm like, I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> so, um, I'm trying to stay up on my meme, my memes lately, just so I can, you know, like connect, which is actually a huge part of the, the nervous system is it really is this question that we have from infancy and even before um, even though before would be definitely pre-verbal, um, where we're asking, am I safe? Will I survive? And the way we do that is simply by noticing, and our visual cue is usually the largest one, looking for signals around us that that tell us yes or no. And so um, on, in a basic way, um, so one of the trainings that I've done is called Radically Open Dialectical Behavioral Therapy. Um, and their premise is in a nutshell and not what that is on their bio. So I'm saying this a little differently maybe, <laughs> but um, their premise is rather than focusing on the disorder, and I, that's an air quotes now, right? But rather than focusing on the problem, um, when we start building safety and connection, those other things resolve because they're usually ways of coping with a lack of safety and connection. Hmm. Um, so for instance, um, if we're thinking about even addiction it would be rather than saying how do we keep you from not drinking we say how do we get you more connected to others and what happens within our nervous system is then we go from one of the five responses that they teach in RO and this is again kind of like a condensed neuroscience thing is the different cues that are possible for our brain which are safety novelty threat Reward and overwhelm. So I'll go through those slowly. Hmm. So safety would be I'm okay. I'm in my body. You're in your body. We're near each other. There's this way that we might even be like connecting verbally or non-verbally. And you know, this is even I I can experience that with with my dog. She's trained to be a therapy dog and is wonderful. Um, mm-hmm. She can just kind of look at me and chill with me. And I'm like, yeah, I feel it's like that deep breath, that exhale that usually happens. And we have to have had an experience where we have seen that or felt that in order to be able to replicate it. Um, Hmm. yeah. And so that's one of the reasons that when we talk about therapy as a place where you can build safety with another person, even in the midst of the pain you're feeling becomes really important. Um, then there's a Novelty, which is basically when something new happens, something I haven't experienced before, mm-hmm. that kind of pause moment, that curiosity. Which, though, for a lot of people, or and a lot of people that actually are usually um, recommended to do RODBT work, they're no They don't have a lot of safety. Novelty usually means threat, so mm. they they will very quickly move into a threat space because they've had experiences that tell them new means threat. So. Threat cue is fight, flight, or freeze, um, which I think a lot of people are more aware of, maybe than ever before. We talk, yeah, like you said, the buzzword of trauma informed. And it's so exciting, mm-hmm. actually, that people are more and more able to be like, oh, yeah, fight, flight, yeah. or freeze. <laughs> yeah. um, because that's what our brains are doing all day whenever they're experiencing any sort of stress from like an actual threat to my life, like getting hit by a car, or like getting an email from my boss and being like, oh, gosh, am
0: I okay? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah and that's where like the nervous system part comes in too right because if your brain registers a threat then it kind of like the smoke detector mm -hmm. analogy right like it sends some communications down and and this you Mm -hmm. know your body and your brain are constantly interacting right but where okay all of a sudden I get an email from my boss and I'm I feel really sweaty and my yes. heart elevates <laughs> and uh, my my skin feels clammy, right? Like all those yep. things that we associate with fear or anxiety or whatever, right? Like mm-hmm. that's what you're talking about in terms of mm-hmm. that's where kind of the brain and the nervous system aspect comes in.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And so thinking about it from that way, is like, okay, well, if my body is in threat mode a lot of the time, I'm constantly feeling anxiety, there's a way that it's going to be really hard for me to regulate. Now mm. I could... Think about it from like, uh, are there medications? Sometimes those can be really helpful. Are there um, are there types of therapy so that I can work on this stuff? But it also like is this basic question around, am I in an environment where I am constantly feeling some sort of threat cue? What can I understand about that environment, and what might be, how might that be a part of the system? And so, Mm -hmm. how can we think about? Shifting and changing those systems. Stress is a part of everyday life, and it's gonna always be a part of it. Um, yeah. And are there ways that we can also practice um, the balance of the stress and the the connection, the feeling of safety? Um, mm. Because if we don't, what you what will happen is if we're feeling that stress response, that threat response, over and over and over and over again, and the nervous system is like <sighs> flooded it will move to an overwhelmed space. Um, yeah. And that's where you'll start hearing terms like dissociation, numbed out. And it's the body's way of saying, you know what, I don't have the resource for this. I'm tired. Yeah. And and for some people, it can be hard to even notice they're in that space because they could just it could just kind of appear like a flat um, affect. And so it doesn't really look like they're in distress. And inwardly, their bodies are saying, I'm in so much distress right now i yeah. I can't even be physically present. Um, yeah. And so it's really interesting to say, okay, rather, rather than rather than just kind of finding ways to alleviate it, what are some ways that we can also support our nervous system? Um, mm. so that it's not as tired or overwhelmed? Um, and that's where some of these like bottom- up approaches. I know that you all uh, in the past had, uh, Dr. Jerome Libba on here talking about yeah. how he does a lot of the bottom-up processes and work, and mm-hmm. I'm really thankful for um, what I've gotten to learn from him around that because I do think it's like we're we're in this whole body, whole system, place of asking, yeah, how do we care for each other? How do we care for each other well? Um, yeah, am I am I allowed to like drop a book recommendation? Is that a weird thing? No, yeah, go for it. Of course, can I do that? Um, I'm reading a book right now. It's by Andrew Newberg. But it is about the, he basically has done a lot of research on looking at faith from a neuroscience perspective. So he would call himself a neuroscience. who's just, he's like very curious about faith. Um, Mm -hmm. And so um, one of the things that he's talking so much about in this book, though, is these different patterns of connection, meditation, prayer, um, community that can become a, a base of resilience and so how we think about what we what we practice together in community at church um and groups of friends is really important and i know that that's also a really important thing right now and a really challenging thing right now
0: yeah um, yeah so is it was that one um is that how god can shape your brain or because yes. i know he has a couple i know actually i think we've recommended before words can change your brain okay it's him and someone else but i know he yeah has a couple
2: Yes. Oh, that's awesome. Well, great. Yeah, this is, it's how God changes your brain.
0: Yep. Okay. So I want to come back to some of that bottom up stuff, but you were, you were listing things and I want to make sure we, if somebody's listening and they say, oh, you were listing things and then you stopped. Um, So you were talking about safety, novelty.
2: Threat, reward, and overwhelm. And I think the only one then we didn't say was reward. Um, Reward is the cue that is mostly related to um, some sort of like dopamine response. So it's where we're going to get excited, right? We have this thought that or or image in our brain that if we follow through on something, there will be a reward for us at the end. And so for some people, um, it could be that I'm going back and forth between threat and reward, threat and reward, threat and reward, (laughs) which again, if I'm only in reward, and I'm not actually getting the safety, my body still never gets the chance to rest. Um, I think that's one thing that Mm. we sometimes get confused about because we think, oh, you know what? I'm just so tired. I'm so stressed out. What I really need is something that distracts me or gives me some energy or excitement or something, right? And that might be wonderful. And at the same time, it is also using our resources. Being excited uses resources. What we need is safety, which is um, from a nervous system perspective, it's the parasympathetic nervous system, but it's the the part that actually allows us to rest and do it in an active way. We rest while sleeping. The reality is we actually rest and rebuild resources when we are in moments and experiences of deep connection and feeling safe.
0: Mm. Yeah. That's uh, that's interesting. I want to highlight that because you said uh, when you're in the reward state, right? You're mm-hmm. that's still not A safety state right like Mm -hmm. uh, reward is still exciting and we Uh think about exciting as a positive but exciting kind of at the base level means like i am excited like i'm activated right and so that's still not a like calm resting restorative state and Mm -hmm. that's a really interesting point particularly you know i think these days when the connection is harder and so much of Mm -hmm. what we do uh, you know whether it's online spaces where Mm -hmm. we get rewards from you know kind of the the connection of dopamine hits from like people liking our stuff or yes. like, eating <laughs> foods or doing exciting right like but that connection um and like the difference between those i think is it's probably a, a really good point yeah
2: yeah yeah and it, and then it, it asks like it kind of leads me to ask the question how we foster then these spaces of connection and safety how do we do that in the therapy room um how do i do that with my clients especially i mean for people who've had yes They've experienced a lot of trauma, so therefore they're more resilient, some would say, right? They're more capable of when something painful happens, getting through it. Well, at the same time, they're also uh, much more threat sensitive because when some because they have to be aware. Uh, we talk about that as like the hypervigilance, right? They, we become more, we, we're constantly assessing, we're constantly looking around, just kind of making sure I'm I'm okay. That's actually what's helped me survive in some ways. Mm. Um, it's also left me yeah. really tired. Um, so how do we support spaces where we know that there's going to be breaks in the connection or breaks in the safety and are still able to respond to it in a way that actually increases safety? I think a lot of times in the, the trauma world, they call that the rupture and repair, saying that yeah, it's it, it is a part of life. And how do we continue practicing the repair part?
0: Hmm. I love that. So you mentioned uh, a little bit ago, forget these notes. We're doing our own thing now. Yeah. Uh, this is, <laughs> look, Holly's not here and you and I are friends. So we're <laughs> talking and I'm going off off script. Um, I
2: love it. But
0: So you mentioned this idea of bottom up exercises or, or ways mm-hmm. to support kind of our nervous system, right? A, can you uh, explain the term bottom-up as opposed to top-down mm. for our listeners? Mm-hmm. Again, this is a thing that we've mentioned a couple times, but I know not everyone has listened to 100 whatever episodes and taken notes. But can you explain uh, kind of the the language there and then give some ideas if someone says, okay, what you're saying makes sense. Uh, mm-hmm. Obviously, step one is like kind of becoming more aware of what my nervous system is doing at any point in time. But then what do you mean bottom-up? Like, How could I do that kind of moment-to-moment moment mm. when I notice, okay, actually, I think I am feeling unsafe. hmm
2: Absolutely. So bottom up versus top down. Top down is when we would we would use something. I'll just throw out a therapy term. CBT is top down. Right. <laughs> yeah. So cognitive based. Anything that it's like, okay, if I can change, if I can notice that what I'm thinking right now is that I am in a threatening situation and I can tell myself, I'm not in a threatening situation, I'm going to be okay, I'm going to get through this, that would be a top down. Because what happens is, I change that thought, that thought impacts my brain impacts my nervous system. Like you said before, maybe my heart rate was going really quickly. And if I repeat that self, repeat that phrase over and over to myself, maybe I notice like, I'm breathing more slowly. Okay, I'm breathing more slowly, because I'm having that, that thought, I'm going to be okay. Yeah. And, and that's really helpful for some people, for some people to be able to notice their thought and then change the thought. Bottom up is saying, rather than try to change the thought, how do I change the experience? Um, and mm. the reality is I can't really change everything that's going on around me. So I have to ask, what can I change? Uh, mm. And what I can change is my, um, my connection or my, my sensory experience. So, I think about five senses, um, and I think about kind of a sixth part of that is related to our breathing. That's something that we we can um, slow., um, and so, I know that one of the things that is a great way of practicing a bottom up shift or response to support my nervous system is, being like regularly more attuned to my breathing and giving myself the chance. This actually happened the other day. I was doing errands and <laughs> I just, you know, had a couple of things. Not a lot going on, but I was just noticing my anxiety is really high right now. And I'm not I'm not even sure. I think a lot of us can relate to that. I'm like, I don't even know where this is coming from. It's not mm-hmm. like I see something or something just happens It's just something in my body. And so in that moment, rather than try to figure out what's going on, what's happening, or try to tell myself something different than what I'm experiencing, um, what I shifted to is saying, okay, how can I just breathe more slowly right now? Is it possible for me to breathe in and different people use different lengths, but breathe in and then breathe out slowly in a way that my body from a like we said, the bottom up place, my body starts experiencing safety before my brain, my mind does that, the cognitive prefrontal cortex. Um, yeah. We can also do that by adding something sensory that might create some soothing or connection. So uh, I think it's so, it's so wonderful. I think if we're really wanting to understand bottom up processing, all we have to do is look at kids and what they do when they're feeling scared <laughs> because yeah. they teach us. <laughs> um so I think that, and, and and not all, I mean, there are children, some children, right, who really struggle in this area. So not every child might have learned how to soothe themselves. Um, that's one of the things that we really focus on, especially with people who experience trauma. There's a way that maybe there, something impeded that, something got in the way of them learning that. Um, yeah. But if you look at a kid who's just like outside running around and does have the capacity to soothe themselves. A two-year-old falls down, cries, maybe sticks his thumb in his mouth, and then you might even see him hold his t-shirt for a second and just kind of rub mm. it. Yeah. And there's a way that in that moment, he's like, he's soothing himself. He's connected. He's like sucking his thumb, doing something oral just to kind of like that, that, um, that sensory kind of physical sensation. Um, he's rubbing his t-shirt some sort of soothing response it's like I'm I'm here this is a pleasant possible sensation versus focusing Mm -hmm. on the pain of falling down or the embarrassment and so as adults there are ways that if we say one are there how can I include some of those things in my life um it might not be sucking your thumb uh (laughs) but but it's yeah. also really interesting we might have we might realize there are some judgments that we have about different things that are maybe appropriate or not appropriate but if i'm somebody who has anxiety what is something that i can do that might be a bottom up way of reminding myself that i'm okay it could be something as simple mm. as in a meeting or in a place where there's more self consciousness because of whoever i'm with sitting and putting my hand over my chest and just holding it there and breathing and like being slow yeah. um, with myself and compassionate. Uh, there's also things that are a little more extreme. That I was listening to a podcast the other day. A guy who is millionaire, billionaire. I don't even know. These are the things, right? That I don't pay <laughs> as much attention to. And so they're like, "How right. do you not know his name and what he does?" And I'm like, "I don't know." I was thinking about his nervous system. That's what I was thinking about. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but. He was saying that one of the things that he's done that has been so helpful is taking a a freezing cold bath every morning (laughs) because he's, he is reminding his nervous system that you can be in a space that's uncomfortable and be okay. Yeah. And what we know about cold from a bottom up process is when you, when the body Um, it's called the dive reflex when the body is submerged, like if you dive underwater, but this happens also if you're just like in a very cold space, or even if you're like washing your hands in cold water and are like really submerging them, what will happen is you hold your breath to some degree, right? If you do go underwater, hopefully. Um, but there's also a way that naturally our body is designed that our heart rate slows. And so- Mm -hmm. When the heart rate slows, it conserves oxygen and it's a protective thing, right? It's supposed to be, you know, if you're going to be underwater for a while, but it's also a really great thing to practice if you're like, you know, I'm, my body is struggling to feel safe. Well, if my breath, my my breathing is slower and if I'm conserving oxygen, I start actually feeling a sense of calm. And so this guy is like, great, let me make it a part of my life. I'm going to take a freezing cold bath every morning. And I'm like, dude, that is really impressive. I have not, (laughs) I have not done that in my own life and the thought of it doesn't sound that fun. Uh, And it's a great reminder though, that there are these things that we can say, if I really want to give my, my nervous system some support right now, there are some things that I can add um, just even in small ways that are physical, that can help it become more resilient
0: yeah, that's so interesting because I think I think a lot sometimes about um, the way that we have described things for a long time. That now we're putting some like some neuroscience behind or some like physiological, mm-hmm. right? But I mean, you've seen it, you know, for decades and decades in a movie when somebody is like really. Uh, Freaking out, right, is a bad term, but like has become really dysregulated. They mm-hmm, go and they mm-hmm. like stick their head underwater and then they come up and they're mm-hmm. like, okay, um, there was like kind of a reset there, right? And mm-hmm. that we've known that works for a long time. Yeah. I mean, we've written it in movies and stuff. And then now we're kind of getting to like, oh, okay, because your body slows down your heart rate to try and conserve, yeah. or you know, uh, even phrases, right? People are like, okay, go, you know, go for a walk and cool off, right? This idea of like yeah. lower the temperature, right? Like all these types of ways that we have yeah. known some of this. But where the kind of the science is coming to like back up our our phrases or you know mm-hmm. um, things like that. But the, if we can kind of be intentional about okay, what's happening here? Maybe that helps me understand, so that I don't feel as silly if I say okay, I'm going to go wash my hands, and it makes me feel better. Then yep. maybe that's totally fine, right? Like if I wash my hands in cold water before I give a presentation at work, cool, you know? Like yeah, um, yeah. So I love that.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I love that you're saying that because the reality is one of the things I love about neuroscience is I just like knowing how things work. Like it just, my, I, I did my undergrad at Georgia tech and I, I don't know why I was there. It was an experience. (laughs) (laughs) I got through it. I'm more resilient now. Um, (laughs) But one of the things that's so interesting is I'm like, you know what, there was something about in learning about myself, you know, as a young 20 something trying or 18 year old trying to figure out what am I doing with my life? But, um, I I really like understanding why things work and it helps me want to try it and feel less silly, like feel less self-conscious. Because I do think that there is a way that we as a culture have become more and more um, self-conscious with, you know, social media, different ways that we want to present or not present. And one of the things that's really cool is we can embrace the reality that even if I can't understand why something works, maybe there is something for me that I've noticed, you know, when I do this, I actually do feel a little better. Maybe I can't yeah. understand it. Is it also okay to accept, you know what, there is something about it that feels good to me. Yeah. And maybe I want to explore that with a therapist. Maybe I don't, but not, um, not discounting the ways that humans have always been doing this. Neuroscience yeah. doesn't make it possible for people to be adaptive. People have always been adaptive and they are, are some amazing communities all over the world that are that have survived, and and it's it's wonderful. So we can describe it now, which I think is pretty cool, and I hope that we continue to be able to learn new things about all of that. And being able to honor something that you start as you start kind of sitting with your nervous system, understanding it more, um, there are ways that you might find yourself exploring something that you didn't think you might even try, and then for some reason you're like, oh. Wow, that actually, huh? Yeah, that's helpful.
0: Yeah, I love that. So I know uh, you know a lot of what we've been talking about right here has been kind of uh, personal, right? Like um mm-hmm. personal. But I'm curious about the the interpersonal aspect, and I know we're we're getting mm-hmm. close on time. But for for yeah. someone who says, okay, I am a a faith leader in a community, or I'm just someone who uh, likes creating spaces for other people, right? Like when we talk about becoming trauma informed, right? What are some ways that we can help each other? And maybe this goes back to like Mm -hmm. what we can learn from people who have experienced a lot of trauma. How Mm -hmm. are are there ways that we can help each other experience that type of safety when maybe they have a hard time or not, they have a hard time in like a a judgment Mm -hmm. sense, but like, based Mm -hmm. on their life experiences, it's harder to to experience safety when we say, okay, but you're in a a nice building. Why don't you feel safe? You know? Mm,
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there are some, on one hand, I want to be like, there's some really great books out there. And there are, I imagine at one point, somebody has dropped um, the the name My Grandmother's Hands. Hmm. My Grandmother's Hands is a wonderful book. And it describes... Ultimately, how we can practice some of these things individually and being able to practice something as a group and use, like again, we're talking about nervous system and I haven't dropped in vagus nerves specifically, but that's one mm-hmm. of them it's a, it's a regulator. And when we're practicing things that activate some brief things like humming, singing, anything that is kind of like a chant, something that people are doing together, even paying attention to our breathing and intentionally breathing more slowly when we're with each other. I mean, starting a meeting by saying, um, hey, as we get started, why don't like can we all just take like three breaths together just to kind of clear our heads and I mean, for in a faith community, even say, you know, like allow ourselves to be present to this moment and what God has to say. Um mm. that's a great way of of allowing ourselves in a space to maybe slow down and it's kind of almost like a transition, right? If we're starting something new, our nervous system is trying to, in that moment, ask, what do I need to pay attention to? Am I safe? So giving ourselves a moment when we're transitioning from one thing to another to recognize it as a transition, um, I think Mm. is particularly helpful for um, survivors of trauma um, because change is one of, I mean, for all of us, but I think specifically for somebody who has a more sensitive nervous system around things like that, a change in place or even policy. I think that's one of the things that sometimes we talk about within church spaces or nonprofit spaces is saying, how can our policies be really clear? And um, when we're changing them, how do we communicate that in a way that we're open for questions? We're open. We we, hmm. we foster a space where people feel like they can ask um, so that they can learn more so that then they can feel a little safer and they're, um, like their nervous system is able to say, okay, all right, I get it now. Um, yeah, and that would be more like kind of top, you know, top down a little bit. Bottom up is a little more the humming together, singing together, breathing together. And I know again, it's a challenge right now. I think a lot of people are getting, I'll just say a lot of people are getting very creative trying to figure out some of the ways to do this when we're in a lot of virtual spaces. Yeah, because maybe we don't have the opportunity to be in the same space as the people we love or um, our faith community. And so saying, okay, in doing that, how can we creatively connect? And are we open to trying some of these things? Because I think, again, it's that question around, like, do we feel self-conscious or silly doing it? And can we do it while at the same time allowing, especially if we're the one leading it, allow the the group to take their time in getting there maybe the first time they just need to watch (laughs) but then can we say okay we're gonna keep practicing this because we know that it's a way that we can connect and feel safer with each other can really build a lot of trust to letting people um make their own choices and have their own agency in the ways they want to participate
0: yeah no, I love that. Even kind of throwing it back to the idea of reward, the, the experience of reward being different than the experience. Because I know, you know, and, and I'm, I'm guilty of this whenever I have had a hand in running events, right? I'm like, mm-hmm. all right, we, no awkward transitions. We need to go from this mm. cool thing that we've had to this cool thing <laughs> to this cool thing to that, right? Like, there shouldn't mm. be any like awkward gaps because I'm uncomfortable with that in like, mm. a oh no, it feels like we've like messed this up timing wise. Yeah. But that means that like, my goal potentially has been exciting thing to exciting thing to exciting thing to exciting thing, yeah. thing without any kind of, we all get to rest together and like have a, an exhale of any kind. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Listener, if you want to connect with Nia, you can do that on Instagram at lingerwild. We'll have a link to that in the show notes. Holly's not here, but if you want to connect with her, you can find her at hollyoxhandler.com or on any social media at hollyoxhandler. You can connect with me at robert-vore.com or on any social media at Robert Vore. Nia, thank you so much for joining us today and, and chatting. Do you have any closing thoughts for our listeners?
2: Oh, it's been so fun being here, Robert. I would say something that I've been thinking about, and especially as we're talking about nervous systems, is to just embrace embrace some uh, some mystery and some weirdness especially in the world right now that we're living in. Um, And I hope that you allow it to nurture you and bring you a sense of hope.
1: Thanks for listening to the CXMH podcast. Want to score some major brownie points? Leave us five stars and an honest review on iTunes. Follow us on social media at CXMH Podcast and email us with questions, comments, and interview requests at cxmhpodcast at
2: gmail.com.